Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. Well, all right. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and always happy you're listening. Well, you might remember that Biden, Joe Biden, President Biden, fielded some questions uh, last year about the sabotage of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And one of the exchanges he had with a reporter was that if Russia were to invade Ukraine, in other words, tanks crossing borders and troops crossing borders, that they would put an end to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And the reporter naively asked, well, how would you do that, Mr. President? You know, the, the, uh, the project uh, control is under the German government. You know, how would you go about doing that? And he kind of stammered around for a little bit and said, trust me, we'll be able to do it. Well, now we have uh, reporting by a famous, a very famous reporter, a guy named Seymour Hirsch, who, who's been around forever. He, he first came on the scene during Vietnam, and he reported on uh, a U.S. Uh, military massacre that took place in Vietnam that led to uh, the uh, Frank Church uh, committee hearings, which uh, limited well, supposedly limited um, the CIA's ability to um, execute, you know, covert ops under complete secrecy and without knowledge of Congress. And so, and he's done, he's reported on many other things. He was involved in the Abu Ghraib uh, undercover story where, where uh, uh, that prison in Iraq, they were abusing prisoners and they had film and all this other video and stuff. Um, he's been involved in a bunch of high-profile stories. He's a, he's a uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter. And now he writes for Substack. So, obviously, if you write for Substack, you're your own boss. And you don't have to have an editor that you worry about or anything like that. And you're free to pursue stories that... Um, that your listeners or that your readers want to read. And the way they, they let you know that is they send you money every month. You know, a lot of these Substack writers um, take monthly donations. And that's what Seymour Hirsch is doing. <clears throat> so he appears on Democracy Now! And Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez basically ask him some questions. And I thought it was very interesting. He goes into lots of detail around the operation and so on and so forth. I don't know if we're going to get into that, but I'm, I'll certainly have um, the interview uh, and the link to the interview in the show notes page. And I really encourage you to go listen to the whole thing. I'm going to clip it up quite a bit and comment on some stuff um, because <clears throat> this is a very important thing that has happened. Um, you know, he's basically... His allegations, and by the way, I saw this a couple of weeks ago, but it was only on Twitter, and I wanted to wait until there was some good audio somewhere that I could pull out before I reported on it here. So this is, you may be hearing this for the first time, but this news has been around now for about two weeks. So anyway, 
what, let's go ahead and just start the interview because there's a lot here, and I want to I want to expose you as much as I can to what the the content, uh, but but also comment on various aspects of it. We begin today's show with the legendary Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Seymour Hersh. In 1970, he won the prize for his reporting for the Dispatch News Service on the My Lai Massacre, when the U.S. slaughtered more than 500 Vietnamese women, children, and old men on March 16, 1968. His reporting in the New York Times on CIA spying on anti-war activists during the Vietnam War era helped lead to the formation of the Church Committee, which led to major reforms of the intelligence community. In 2004, in the pages of The New Yorker magazine, Cy Hirsch exposed the Abu Ghraib prisoner abuse scandal in Iraq. Well, last week, he published another bombshell report, but this time on his new Substack page. The piece was headlined, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline. It looks at one of the great mysteries of the past year. Who was behind the bombing of the Nord Stream pipelines, which were built to carry natural gas from Russia to Europe? The pipelines were severely damaged last September in a series of underwater explosions in the Baltic Sea. In his new piece, Cy Hirsch cites an unnamed source who says the sabotage was carried out by the U.S. Navy, which planted remotely triggered explosives during NATO exercises last September. Hirsch reports the Biden administration began planning the act of sabotage in December 2021, two months before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. On February 7, 2022, President Biden held a joint news conference with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, and Biden brought up the future of the Nord Stream pipeline. We'll play that audio of the president in just a minute, but I wanted to play this long introduction because... In case you weren't familiar with Seymour Hirsch, I wanted you to hear about his track record. I mean, this man has been writing, you know, blockbuster articles and done investigative reporting his whole life. I think he's in his mid-70s or something. So uh, this is a very impressive journalist, very uh, high level of integrity, uh, is reported against government power and government atrocities his whole life, and uh, I think is very credible on this particular topic. And so I think it's worthwhile to not just discount this story as propaganda. You'll hear Ned Price later just call it straight-up propaganda, which I think is propaganda itself. You know, Ned Price talking about that in a, in a uh, White House briefing. So, um, yeah, so let's move on to the to the president's pre- press conference that happened back in um, uh, eh, like maybe February of last year or something like that. Invades. Uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine uh, again. Then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. What do, what, how, will you, how will you do that exactly, since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. I'll promise you we'll be able to do that. 
Well, Cy Hirsch reports U.S. Navy divers planted remotely triggered explosives on the pipelines in June while NATO was conducting military exercises in the area. He reports the divers were all members of the Navy and not members of America's Special Operations Command, whose covert operations must be reported to Congress. Then, on September 25, 2022, a Norwegian surveillance plane dropped a sonar buoy, which triggered the C-4 explosives that had been placed on the pipeline. Soon after the explosion, the United States strongly suggested Russia was behind blowing up its own pipeline. This is National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan responding to a question at a White House press briefing. In his speech this morning, the president called the Nord Stream pipeline attacks, uh, quote, a deliberate act of sabotage. And he said, now the Russians are pumping out misinformation and lies about it. Should we take that to mean that the U.S. now believes that Russia was likely responsible for this act of sabotage? Well, first, Russia has done what it frequently does when it is responsible for something, which is make accusations that it was really someone else who did it. We've seen this repeatedly over time. But the president was also clear today that there is more work to do on the investigation before the United States government is prepared to make an attribution in this case. This, uh, this summary that Democracy Now! puts on is, is really good because one of the things it reveals is this little dance that the government and the media do to release news. And they, believe me, all these questions are known before these cameras start rolling. Uh, these people in the White House, they talk to the people in the press, and they say, look, you're going to be the third one picked, and you're going to have a question about X, Y, and Z, and this is how we're going to answer it. I mean, it's all just, it's all planned. Very, very occasionally, you'll see one of these people just be stunned by the question that they get from the gallery. But most of the time, these are planned, uh, unless it's, uh, what's his name from, uh, Ducey from uh, Fox. He always catches them off guard. And you can see Jean-Carine or Karine Jean-Pierre stammer around and rifle through her little notebook thing and uh, really struggle to, to uh, even provide an answer, much less a correct answer. So uh, I, I just think this summary, you know, you hear the president talk and then you hear, you hear uh, this announcement about the pipeline being blown up and the, the, the fake blame that's, uh, attributed to Russia uh, because, you know, Russia does what it does best and blames somebody else for what it's responsible for, which is the very thing that we're doing, right? And so I just think it's an interesting dance that our government, uh, you know, puts itself through for the theater that it, that it presents to the American public. And when you, when you clip it up like Democracy Now! has done and played it like this, it just looks like bullshit, especially since you throw in some new information, like from Seymour Hirsch in this case, about, hey, he's got an anonymous source from the Navy or whatever that says they blew it up. We blew it up. The United States government did. In the following months, there have been few public disclosures about the pipeline explosion. In December, the New York Times reported Russia had begun expensive repairs on the pipelines, a move which has raised questions about Western claims that Russia had bombed its own pipelines. Meanwhile, some Biden officials have publicly praised the fact that the pipeline was blown up. This is Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Nuland, speaking during a recent Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearing. 
I am, and I think the administration is very gratified to know that Nord Stream 2 is now, as you like to say, a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea. We're joined now by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Seymour Hirsch to talk more about his new piece, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline. While the White House has described Hirsch's reporting as, quote, complete fiction, calls are growing for an independent probe into the explosion. Cy Hirsch, welcome back to Democracy Now! If you can flesh out um, what it is you found in your report um, and what first tipped you off, um, albeit there were a lot of public comments, including the Polish government right after the bombing, saying, thank you, America. Lay it out for us, Cy. Well, first of all, I think the reporting really can be described as a friend of mine did. What I did was really deconstruct the obvious. I mean, you have to hear what the president said. But of course, there were there were secret plans that I'm writing about, um, and they include. Um, um, uh, there was a committee set up. Jake Sullivan was directly involved. He was the national security advisor, still is. Um, they set up a team to look at options about how to put pressure uh, on the um, uh, on the Russian government to back off. I, I, uh, there was a. I'm just writing about inside baseball stuff. It's the normal things you do. They set up a committee to think of options. Uh, Russia was clearly going to go. Uh, the threat the president had yet to make um, uh, had not been made. And this is December before before um, New Year's Day of the, of the year before 2021. Um, and the question inside the committee, and it included uh, the usual CIA, NSA. As Treasury Department, State Department, you name it, and uh, they met in the secret secret office building in the uh, across the street from the White House, the Executive Office office building. Uh, the option was: do you want us to do something um, uh, uh, a kinetic, or somebody not something not kinetic? In other words, uh, not kinetic would be uh, more sanctions, or something kinetic would be you know taking out the pipeline. What's interesting about this first part of his story? is the the assembly of this committee and Jake Sullivan who's a national security advisor part of the administration part of the Biden administration the CIA treasury and some other people were on this committee supposedly you know probably people from special operations uh, some special forces in, in the armed services and so so on and so forth but you can tell just based on the reporting that people were saying, "Hey, look, are you? T- what are you talking about here exactly?" I mean, you could almost you could almost kind of sense that they knew this was wrong, and so they're asking, "Are you talking about something kinetic? Or are you t- are you talking about some? You know, are we talking about sanctions? Or are we talking about actively doing some sabotage here?" And the committee comes down on, "No, we need to do something kinetic. In other words, we need to do we need to take action and actually." put this thing out of commission. So clearly when you have something like that, that comes from the top. This is not just CIA people and special ops people, you know, sitting around taking it upon themselves to do this. They're, they're, they're getting direct, uh, they're getting direction from the, the administration, the executive branch of the federal government. This is a very serious thing because you know, Russia is uh, uh, next to us. They have more nuclear weapons stockpiles than any country in the world, and we're just poking our finger in their eye. I mean, I've used this analogy before 
about poking poking the bear or poking uh, your finger in somebody's eye. This is what we constantly did. We constantly did this the whole time President Trump was in office. You know, all we did was talk about Russian collusion and Russia this and Russia, Russia, Russia. And, you know, meanwhile, Russia, the government of Russia, is over there listening to all this. I mean, you can imagine uh, that that's just a constant aggravation for them to be propagandized in the way that they were. And we know now, and some of us knew even then, that it was all bullshit, right? The whole Russian collusion thing was bullshit. None of it was true. It was all made up as a, as a predicate to get uh, Trump out of the White House. They wanted that guy gone. And they needed a reason to remove him. And if he was conspiring with Russians during his campaign, well, that was even better because we could get him out before he even gets started as president, right? So, yeah, so the, the bottom line is on this first segment is it's, this is coming from the top, the tippity-top of our, of our wonderful U.S. government, the Biden administration. Uh, Victoria Newland's statement that you mentioned came actually before the president's. It came in late um, January of 2000 of last year and that statement came I, at that time i think the the committee involved a lot of sophisticated people in, in the intelligence and operation community uh, concluded you could do it and the white house was told it was possible i think that led to the comments which really of course made the people on the inside uh, go half crazy because it was supposed to be completely covert but at that place as i wrote it was simply described as a classified operation none of the rules of reporting to congress involved are involved were involved and so they began their planning they went to norway which is a great ally of ours norway was one of the original signers of the uh, 1949 nato uh, uh, treaty it's just they're just our guys and they're also great at doing underwater stuff and so that's what happened we did a plan with them we had to clear it with sweden and denmark i'll leave it to them to decide whether that they were accepted the explanation we were doing exercises in the baltic sea for the hell of it so what he's saying is once we decided to move forward, we contacted Norway. Norway uh, is a big oil producer in the North Sea, and they have uh, extensive underwater um, experience through uh, subsea operations in the oil business. And they're also a very good ally of the U.S. And so, or you could say a puppet of the U.S. And, um, you know, it's interesting, he talks about uh, exercises in the Baltic. You know, we got we got together with Sweden and Denmark and Norway, and we started doing some exercises in the Baltic. And the reason this is significant, you're going to hear in a minute, is because this is when, while these exercises are going down, this is when uh, some some highly skilled people with the Navy went down below the water where the pipeline is and placed these explosives on the pipeline. And used uh, uh, set them up with like a remote sensing device to detonate, and he goes into that here in a minute. So I, don't, I won't spoil it. It's a tiresome game to me. Uh, and so what happens is when I do my story on Substack, uh, I wouldn't even think. Um, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say it after all those wonderful years I had at the New York Times. I wouldn't even think he'd think a story like this to the New York Times. Um, they've decided that the Ukraine war is going to be won by Ukraine, and and that's what its readers get, and that's so be it. Um, um, that's their call. I just had to stop real quick after this short clip because he almost says it like accidentally, you know, he says when he was at the New York times, 
he would have never thought of writing a story like this. Because the New York Times, the people that run the New York Times, would would have just decided that uh, the Ukraine war is virtuous and uh, the U.S. government should be fighting on the side of Ukraine, and that's that. And anything that you know, anything that's reported that runs counter to that narrative, well, you just you know, you're just not going to do it. And uh, and he basically says, you know, that's. That's their decision. They can do that if they want. But this just gives you a glimpse into <clears throat> how the media decides where they're going to be. Okay, They decide where they're going to stand on something. And then they go about reporting in a way that bolsters that position. That's really what they do. Uh, there's always a slant in the media. If you think you're just getting straight news... Uh, you're fooling yourself. There is no straight news anywhere. I, I don't know that there was ever straight news. There's always uh, a villain in the news. Now, in, in real life, there are no black hats and white hats. You know, it's not like America is wearing the white hats and they're virtuous and saintly and Russia is wearing the black hats and they're evil and maniacal and you know, just the bad guys, right? That, that's not the way the world works. The world is always more nuanced than that. Um, now, what you can say about the world is that it, it, people's interests sometimes collide. And that's what's happening, happening here with Russia. Our interest is to have influence over Europe, okay? And what, what the United States is afraid of is if Russia becomes too cozy with Europe because Europe needs their oil and gas, then America might lose its girlfriend. Okay, so you can almost look at this like you know boyfriend and girlfriend kind of thing, and a new a new kid shows up in class, and and oh boy, and everybody gets all excited about the new kid, and and the people that have the established relationships are all of a sudden worried, and they pick on the new kid, and. I mean, this is really kind of the analogy of what's going on between the U.S. and Russia. Russia's just always been on the side of the enemy. And we can't have them on our side now or on the side of Europe. They've got to be, they've got to be on the bad side because that's where they belong. I mean, the whole thing's ridiculous. Uh, but this is, the way, uh, this is the way the experts think inside the government. Baltic Sea is a huge, huge place. The pipelines we're talking about, Nord Stream 1, which came alive in 2011, and Nord Stream 2 was actually done, but the Germans that are ready to pump pump has uh, 750 miles. And uh, they go straight from from um, uh, from Russia, which is loaded with all kinds of gas. They're, they're in Siberia, they have enormous reserves, directly into Germany. And I can tell you, Nord Stream 1, was a godsend for the German economy and Western Europe. They, they put, produced so much gas at such low prices that the German government was actually able to resell some of the gas the Russians were providing uh, at a profit without Russia objecting. And so the German economy is huge, it's booming. You know, the, the cars we know about, they, Germany has the largest chemical company in the world, BASF. And everybody's, right now, it's, it's hell to pay. It's gotten very cold there. There's a lot of anger. I wanted to play this segment. I'm not going to comment on it much, but I just want you to 
hear, and if you have to go back and listen to it again, listen to Seymour Hirsch talk about how this inexpensive Russian gas into Germany just was a boom for the German economy. Um, you know, this is gas is a feedstock for uh, for chemical process industry. Uh, it's it, it's used to produce energy. Um, you know, these plants that produce chemicals use a lot of electricity and a lot of a lot of energy, and so this was a huge boom for their economy. And and then at the very end there, he talks about now people are starting to get kind of angry and it's cold, and the economy's suffering. I mean, what we have we really have lost our minds in America when our politicians think it's okay to let millions of people suffer because of some, I don't know, ego war. You know, this is really what it is, is we don't like Russia. The people, the permanent people in Washington, like Victoria Nuland and uh, uh, the, the NSA security advisor, national security advisor, Jake, whatever, we don't like Russia, so we're willing to inconvenience at best and maybe starve and kill and freeze out a bunch of innocent people at worst because we don't like a place. We don't like some place. We don't like the leader of some country. I mean, this is really absurd and, and, and way over the top. I mean, this, this kind of stuff really needs to stop. The bottom line is um, the stories I've been getting about the war, particularly beginning in full, and that's what gets interesting, have been pretty dire. Uh, the Russians, um, I don't think, I think the end is just a question of time. Right now it's a question of how many more people Zelensky wants to kill of his own people. It's going to be over. What happened is the plan was to put the bomb, the, uh, the, and I can't answer your philosophical question about why Congress isn't doing anything anymore. Congress is pretty much polarized just as much. And, um, and there's also um, an enormous uh, continuing of uh, hatred of uh, all things Putin in this country, um, which is uh, foreign policy disagreements are one thing, but it's very personal here, and that's not useful. But anyway, the other, the other, you know, he is. I don't think there's any chance that Putin wants to take over Europe. I don't think he wants to take. He wants to have Ukraine tamed, but he's not interested in doing anything more. But I, that's I may be in a minority about that. Anyway, what happens is it was there was an exercise in June, and it was supposed to. Um, the, the bombs were put in there under the cover of a, of a, a, a NATO exercise. There were a lot of different countries running around um, with divers um, and uh, bowling up things. It was an exercise to go find and chase mines. There never had one, been one before. It actually was whoever in the CIA or in the other agencies that thought this up should get a bow because it was pretty ingenious. So in that exercise, the divers went down, did what they were trained to do. They're very good. C4 a couple hundred, whatever the weight is, um, bombs enough to blow up most cities, most buildings in in in, uh, in Washington. Well, toward the end of this clip, he comes back to the operation. But I do want to point out uh, what he's been hearing um, through his network of reporters and people that he talks to is that the end is near for uh, Ukraine. It's just a matter of how much longer Zelensky wants to hold out and how much damage he wants to do to his people and his country. Um, I saw on Twitter the other day um, some video footage of military personnel rounding up young people 
and these Ukrainian cities, some of them just teenagers, and uh, the report said they were capturing them uh, to put them in uniform and go put them on the front line. So, you know, this is not voluntary. I mean, they, they, are, they are basically uh, enslaving some of these citizens to go fight uh, Russia. And we're, we're the ones kind of um, uh, enabling all that. You know, we're like the drug addict or the drug dealer that keeps supplying the drugs to the drug addicts, right? So they can go do their thing. We're enabling you know, we're enabling this to continue and for people to die in the, in the numbers that are dying. And that's on us. I mean, that's on the American government. That's on Congress uh, for, uh, it's not really on us like the American people, uh, although we ought to put up more of a fight and we ought to demand that they not do that. But our elected representatives are, are doing that. They are sending hundreds of billions of dollars over to this country um, to keep this this conflict going, and I, I I think Seymour Hersh is right. I think it's the the end is very near uh, for Ukraine, and the country's destroyed. I mean, it's just completely flattened. And I also agree with him that Putin probably has no desire to reconstitute the Soviet Union. I don't. I, I just think that's propaganda. I don't think there's. And he, he says, you know, maybe I'm the only one that thinks that. No, I think there's a lot of people that think that. I think it's just pure propaganda, and there's no truth to it. But the Bombs Away Club in America is falling for it. And that's unfortunate. Here's what Biden did, and this is what I think the ultimate point of the story, and why so many people, even the intelligence community, are very troubled by it. What he did is he said, I'm in a big war with Ukraine. It's not looking good. Uh, I want to be sure I get German and West, West European support, and I know winter's coming, and if it's going to be bad, I don't want the Germans to say, we got to out because we're, gonna, we're gonna getting massacred, we'll be massacred with no, no, no cheap fuel, and um, our, our economy will go bonkers. We're going to check out and we're going to open up the gas line, which they could do. So he took away that option, and what that has done as you know, America has been talking about ever since the first pipeline, Nord Stream 1, came online in 2011. And it was there were years before it was being built. This goes back to the Bush-Cheney um, uh, years. And, and as you know, um, I did a lot of reporting for The New Yorker on, on those people, on that particular gaggle. <laughs> anyway, and um, uh, at that time, they began to talk about the threat. The, the threat of, of, of gas, the threat of cheap energy for Europe would always seen as a threat to make Europe be more palatable or more willing to trade with Russia. We always wanted to isolate Russia. This has been a theme of the last decades. And there it is, the predicate or motive for doing what we did. We don't want your, Germany and Europe brought more broadly to be independent of us and least least of all we don't we don't want them uh being uh, or leaning on russia as a friendly source uh, and a trade partner and this is really ridiculous why why don't we want this why would it why is conflict with russia preferable to harmony and trade and freedom and increased standard of living. Uh, 
This is what I don't understand about the U.S. government. This is what bothers me the most about the U.S. government. It's constantly working against people, and us included, uh, our livelihoods, uh, our standard of living, our ability just to make our lives work. It's constantly working against us. It's working against us in uh, against people in other countries. And I don't understand why the U.S. government is so hell-bent on controlling things to the point that it makes people's lives bad. This is just, this. no wonder, you know, capitalism has such a bad rap. Uh, you know, we, we, we abuse this power uh, for what? So we can be dominating or we can... I mean, it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. But I agree with Seymour Hersh here. That is definitely what is motivating our government. This permanent Washington, people like Victoria Newland and Jake Sullivan, these people are constantly agitating for conflict with countries that we don't like. And why don't we like them? Well, I don't know. But nobody can even tell us. Uh, oh, they're they're evil people or whatever. No, that's bullshit. I mean, most of most of you listening have probably met somebody from Russia or Ukraine or Eastern European countries like Romania. These people were all Russian at one time or Soviets. So there's nothing wrong with these people. There's really maybe nothing even wrong with the government, uh, other than it's maybe corrupt. But but hell, we're corrupt. So what what are we talking about here? The fear was uh, Europe would pass away, walk away from the war. And now what he's done, and you have to lift it up a little bit. There you go. There. Now what he's done is he's told Europe, uh, you're, second, you're second rate. And I think the consequences of this for the Europeans are going to be horrific. They really, this has cut into the notion that they can depend totally on America, even in a crisis. And I think it's going to undercut NATO, which I always found to be supremely useless but certainly the european countries are going to be uh, i know people that are paying five times as much now for electricity uh, people are paying three or four times more for gas there's not enough of it it's very expensive it's colder now than it was in the fall they had a life fall because of uh, climate change if you want to believe it or not and anyway i think the consequences politically for us are enormous i think the reason that biden and his uh, people in the white house have denied the story and continue to deny it and get accepted by uh, some of the press, my old newspaper, the New York Times. I, I don't know why they're not doing more reporting on this instead of relying on a denial and walking away from the story. Ditto for the Washington Post. Uh, I think the consequences politically for us in the long run, looking at even potential some countries walking out of NATO, if that's what he thinks, that our being cold is less important than him keeping a war going that he's not going to win. I think Seymour Hersh is exactly right. We, we, we did some sort of weird calculus on this and intentionally took an option away from Europe. And when they find out that we did this, and and I'm sure they already know, this is going to have, for me, it's great. Okay. To me, if NATO dissolves, that's better for the world. But if you're inside the U.S. government and you're looking to try to keep NATO together, uh, this is a huge blunder. This is a really, really, really bad idea. It could really drive a wedge between uh, 
the, the NATO allies, the individual countries of the NATO allies and the United States of America. And, and for what? I mean, what, like he said, for a war that we're not going to win? For a war, by the way, that was completely avoidable. Uh, we wanted this war. We poked and poked and poked. We pushed NATO right up to Russia's border and dared them, just dared them to do something about it. And and we got it. We got the war that we wanted. Um, now, I, I don't know. Some of you not, might not believe this. I've, I've done shows on this and have laid out the whole the whole uh, history around this conflict. And there is a history, and it started about, oh, 2012, 2014. And uh, it really started before that. It really started after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1989. That's when it really started. But it really began to heat up in around 2012, 2014 under the Obama administration. And, and just suffice it to say that it's completely avoidable. You've got huge numbers of refugees. I mean, I'm, I'm selling one of our, my vehicles at home right now. And I had somebody come look at it the other day. Guess where they're from? Ukraine. The man and the woman, his wife and their little child was about a year and a half old. And I was talking to him. And he said he was from Ukraine. And I said, have you left because of the conflict? And he said, everybody has left. Now, <laughs> I mean, what, what, to what end have we, have we done what we've done? It's kind of like, it, it's, it's almost like looking backwards at Afghanistan and going, was that a good idea? And in hindsight, knowing, no, that wasn't a good idea. Uh, or Iraq or any of these things. Uh, but here we're a little bit closer to the, to the, you know, the opening decisions. And it's just like, to what end, to what end do we, have we done this? Well, look, I'm, I'm about out of time, but I want you to go listen to this whole interview. It's about 30 minutes long. I couldn't possibly play all the clips. He plays a clip, uh, of Jake Sullivan fielding questions and he gets nasty and mean with the reporter and calls it propaganda and all this stuff. And I just think it's funny. They do not like it when you take them to task. And this reporter is taking Jake Sullivan to task, and he is basically pitching a fit. He keeps trying to move on from the question, and the guy keeps saying, well, I have a follow-up question, and I have a follow-up question. So go listen to the video. Go listen to the uh, uh, the audio, the video. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes page to it. It's uh, It's really good and very eye-opening. And, and you should, you know, look, I don't agree with everything that Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez have to say on Democracy Now!, but it's a pretty darn good program. It's about as straight down the line as you're going to get in a news program, and you ought to try it out. You ought to try out Democracy Now!, it's, it's pretty good. Um, but look, if you only have so many hours in the day or so many minutes in the day to listen to anything... Make sure you come back and listen to who gets to decide. That's the most important thing. So, And if you do that, if you do come back and listen, of course I'll be here tomorrow to do it all over again.